Hello and welcome to 7 Times a Charm. On this show we discuss dating, relationships, marriage and divorce from a unique perspective, the perspective of two regular people. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. I've been divorced three times. And I've been divorced twice. Obviously we're not relationship experts. Between us we've learned many hard lessons and that's why we started this podcast. So we can pass those lessons on and help others have better, healthier relationships. Basically, we've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. to another episode of the seventh times the charm podcast it's a little ironic that i'm starting off this episode introducing it that way because i was just talking about how i love in the first few episodes we i kind of like hit the record button by surprise in the middle of a conversation and we're just we're just talking and there isn't a formal introduction there's not like a, a commercial to start us off or anything like that but today's a little bit different i think because we have a special guest with us who does need some introducing and I, uh, John, I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about how you yeah. know Alan and we'll take it from there. So this is Alan Donovan and he's with Fathers Lives Matter, which is a um, father's rights advocacy advocacy um, group. Uh, is that a good explanation for it or can you do a little better than me? Yeah. So basically, uh, Fathers Lives Matter. Um, I am a father's rights advocate top to bottom, and I am unapologetic about that fact. Yeah. And how we uh, met each other was a while back. You were kind of just getting started out with um, your podcast. And uh, I actually came on and talked about my experiences having been a, a police officer and having gone, you know, kind of that angle in the um in the child custody world and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and hopefully I, I shed some light on how police officers kind of, um, operate in that system. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that, man, that was a couple of years ago. Now that I think back to it, I was just thinking about that as you were talking and yeah, that was, that was a couple of years ago, man, it's crazy how fast time flies. But the fact that you, the fact that you were a police officer and you're able to provide, some insight into that was fabulous because one of the big things that we run into um, being a father's rights advocate is there's a gray line when the police get involved, when it comes to custody situations and depending on the state where you're at, it's different from state to state, but for the most part, cops don't have a lot of leeway when it comes to that. So it was great to hear somebody that was actually a cop that could speak on that fact. Yeah, you're very right. And it really does. Um, it is real different from state to state. I was a police officer in Nevada. I live in Missouri now. You, I believe, are in Colorado. I'm in Montana. Yep. Montana. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it, and it changes from state to state to state and and, and even the, the court system. But really, like you're saying, police officers, they, they very much have to just do what the court tells them to do. As a yeah. matter of fact, I think I may have told you this back in at the time when we spoke last time that I actually had a call that I went on and it was a child custody issue, a very recent ex, probably still going through a divorce. And um, I was giving some advice to the father after the call was done. And the the mother actually filed a complaint against me for giving legal advice to her ex-husband. And uh, I ended up getting a sustained complaint over that where they said I shouldn't be giving legal advice to a dad and on a, on an actual child custody scene, which blows my mind. So yeah, 
And Danielle is asking me how or why I would like you to come talk to us. And and so. Well, I think first, let's just start with, Ellen, if you can share a bit about yeah. how you got started with what you're doing now. And I looked at your Instagram. You have a really big following. I think it's like 150,000 people. So 181, 181 now. (laughs) Okay. So what you're talking about and what you're, you know, what you're sharing is obviously resonating with a lot of people. It's a big issue. How did you get started doing this work? So, uh, back in 2015, um, excuse me, I was just, I was just a father, you know, trying, trying to go along in life and everything. And, uh, I found myself getting dragged into the family court system. You know, I was very naive. You know, I went in there thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a good guy. I don't have a criminal record. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I have a job. You know, I was a mid-level manager at UPS making good money. You know, I consider myself a very good person. So going to family court, uh, I ended up getting my butt kicked. I had hired a lawyer, spent $10,000 on a lawyer. You know, I was assured by this lawyer that everything was going to be rainbows and sunshine, basically. You know, I I got in there and found out that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I walked out of that, uh, basically being told by the judge there that she didn't think I had any rights to um, have custody of my son. You know, at that point in time, I had my son for almost six months. Kind of what kicked this whole thing off is his mom um, supposedly OD'd. I still have not found out if that actually did happen or did not happen. But at any rate, you know, I, I felt my son was in danger that it wasn't a safe place for him. So I initiated this. I got an emergency custody order to start with. And then we had the actual custody case, which I lost. So I had to give my son back to his mom. Um, I fired my lawyer and I was looking at six months later, having another court case down in Kentucky. Okay. I'm in Montana. So she had moved down to Kentucky with her parents and, you know, I'm like most guys, I don't have $10,000 just laying around where I can just whip out 10 grand and put down a retainer for another lawyer. So I had to figure out what I was going to do. Basically my options were, you know, walk away, you know, just kind of accept whatever it is and walk away or figure out some way to fight. And I sat down and I made the decision that the best person to represent my son's rights to have me in his life and my rights to have him in his life was me. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's very scary. (laughs) Very scary moment. Let me tell you. Um, So I spent the next six months teaching myself family law in the state of Montana and the state of Kentucky. Um, Around the same time, I had, well, after my first experience in family court, I got online and I started looking for support for single fathers. I didn't find anything. What I found was support for single mothers, mm-hmm. you know, even putting in support for single fathers, queued up support for single mothers. Wow. There's literally nothing out there at the time. And I was like, wow, you know, I was, I was really shocked. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, what, what can I do? What can I do? And Instagram was this new, this new thing that had just come out. And I was like, oh, I'd start an Instagram account. So I started an Instagram account and titled it Father's Lives Matter. Because after my first experience in court, I felt that my life as a father didn't matter to anybody but me. And so I did, I started that as a way to kind of chronicle my journey through the family court system and to gain support for myself because I didn't have support. Everybody who I talked to that heard that I was doing this, they're like, dude, you're crazy. 
what are you doing? You know, why are you representing yourself? You're going to get destroyed. And so I did that. I went down to court in that next March. I rolled into the family court down there in Kentucky with 13 binders by myself. Um, I walk into the court. She's got an attorney. (laughs) I have just me. Her parents are there. And uh, the judge kind of, he kind of looks at me. He gives me this up and down. And uh, he goes, Mr. Donovan, where's your attorney? I said, you're looking at him. And he was just like, hmm. Okay. He was just quiet for a second. He goes, uh, you realize that if this does not go the way you want, you can't turn around and declare a mistrial. I said, yes, your honor. I absolutely realize that. And he goes, and you're sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes. And so we were off and running and we did the whole, the full, you know, court experience, calling witnesses, you know, objections, all that stuff. We get to the end before he goes to make his decision. And he says, Mr. Donovan, I have a couple questions for you. I said, okay. He goes, do you, uh, have you ever been down here before? And I said, no. He goes, do you know anybody down here besides your son's mom and her parents? I said, nope. He goes, did you come here alone? I said, yeah. I said, I came here by myself. He goes, so you traveled 2,000 miles by yourself to a place you have never been to fight for your right to be in your son's life? I said, yes. I said, I'm fighting for his right to be in my life as well. And he goes, hmm. he goes, I got to tell you, in the 20 years I've been doing this, you are the most well-prepared father I have ever seen walk into this courtroom. You never hear judges say that. Most judges hate when somebody comes in and goes pro se, because that's what, that's the legal terminology for it, is pro se, representing yourself. He, he was amazed. He said, so I understand that you're moving down here. I said, yes, because that was the plan. I was going to tie up some loose ends in Montana. I was saving some cash, and then I was going to move down there so I could be closer to my son. He goes, well, I'm going to grant I'm going to grant uh, your request for 50-50 um, custody today. I'm going to do legal and physical, which that's another thing that's unheard of, because I'm 2,000 miles away. I'm not physically there. That's unheard of. You know, usually you get legal or you get one or the other. You you rarely ever get both, and especially with a two thousand mile distance. Before you go totally to that, a lot of people don't understand the difference of between legal and physical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you? So explain yeah. So so physical is essentially you know you can take the your child with you. You have physical custody of them. They can come see you. Whatever the case, legal is you have a say in anything regarding medical records, school, religious, anything that is of a legal nature, you have a say in that. Normally, it's not that way over long distances. Normally, it's mom that has the say because she's the custodial parent. But I got the say in both areas, which unheard of. So he goes, so you're moving down here. And I said, yeah. He goes, I'll tell you what, when you move down here and you get settled, you come back and see me and I will make you the custodial parent. Wow. I mean, that's how impressed this judge was with me. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, my mind was just blowing. Okay. So, you know, I'm on cloud nine. I've got 50, 50 custody of my son, you know, because leading up to this, they were trying to force me to settle. The first offer that they offered me was one week a year. Okay. But I had to go down there to do it. I couldn't go down there and bring him back up here because it's two days travel. 
either way. Right. So basically that takes out the option of bringing him back so he can see family here. Okay, then they started telling me, then his mom started on with, I should sign away my rights. She started on with that whole thing. That lasted for a couple of weeks. And finally, I was like, listen, <laughs> I'm never going to sign away my rights to my son. I don't even know why you're bothering to ask me this question. This is just ridiculous. Just stop. Okay, and then what they settled on, what I got out of the 50-50, which what it, it, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted more than this, but I ended up getting one month out of the year in the summer is what I ended up getting. Um, so fast forward, I'm going home and I get home. Well, I've got this, I've got this father's lives matter thing going on on Instagram. You know, I have a couple thousand followers right now and, you know, not a big deal, you know, and it's starting to pick up traction and people are starting to really congregate around my page and all this other stuff. And, People are really liking it. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay, this is cool. Now I'm starting to shift from it being totally about me to being about my experience I just had and helping fathers. Um, you know, because I just taught myself family law in two different states. You know, I got a lot of knowledge that I can pass on to these guys. And so I started doing that. And so I stayed with that arrangement for two years. I get called back into court down to Kentucky. I go in, it's the same judge. This judge remembers me. He greets me by name, says, Mr. Donovan, how are you doing today? You know, I was like, wow, okay. So I must've made an impression on this judge. I was in the courtroom for 20 minutes and I walked out with full custody of my son. I've had wow. full custody of my son since then. Uh, that was 2017. So we get back home. Now I've really got to figure out what to do with Father's Lives Matter. You know, because my fight is done. You know, I can delete the page. I can give the page to somebody else. Or I can take all the knowledge that I've accumulated over these last couple of years and start teaching fathers. So that's what I did. And then not long after that, the Father's Truth podcast was born. And basically that was born from these fathers coming to me, asking my advice and telling me that I need to do something more than what I had been doing. And I love podcasts. You know, I listen to two to 300 different podcasts a week, you know, covering every topic you can imagine. Um, and I was like, man, I wonder if I should start a podcast about it. And so I went back online and got to look in and I didn't find any podcasts about fathers telling their stories, specifically fathers that had gone through the family court system. And I was like, there we go. That's what I'm going to do. And that's how the father's truth came to be. Um, over the last couple of years, it's been consistently ranked in the top 20, 25% of all podcasts in the world dealing with family family issues and education. Um, and so that brings us to where we're at today. And here I am talking to you guys. That's the short and sweet version. Oh man, I have so many questions. Um, as you were talking about, you know, your experience with getting full custody of your child, I, I, I think I want to dispel a myth that people might have as they listen mm -hmm. to this and, and make some assumptions perhaps on based on, based on what you've shared so far, the limited, you know, like scope mm -hmm. of the full story, which is that your perspective is that uh, dads should get their kids full time or that mothers shouldn't have their children or so. I mean, those all kind of sound ridiculous. Well, that's not, well, that's not my perspective though. Mm -hmm. My perspective is that when you walk into the family court system, it doesn't matter if you're a mother or a father. Okay. You should be treated equally. That's not the way family court is. 
When you walk into a family court as a father, you are not treated equally as that mother is. That mother is already predisposed as being the best parent. It's not the way it should be. It should be a level playing ground for both parties. Mm. Yeah. This is such a such a uh, interesting subject for me personally because John and I have had a conversation about this recently mm-hmm. where he he I think was essentially asking me do I believe that both parents have equal rights whether it's legally or just you know from a like a human rights perspective to mm-hmm. a child and I was like no I feel like my children are more my children than anyone else's on the planet including their father. <laughs> Let me ask you why do why do you feel that way? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know really where that came from other than having grown up with a single mom and my dad, you know, was, he lived an hour and a half away from us and I saw him every other weekend and like every other holiday type of thing. Um, And he, he also was not my biological father. He had adopted me when I was one or two years old. He was my mom's first husband. My biological father, I've only seen one time, maybe two times in my life. So I essentially, I grew up without a dad. So you, you lean to that perspective. That's why you lean that way. Yes. Yes. Which is, I can, I can totally see how it's like my personal bias, Mm -hmm. right. That, that Mm -hmm. overlays the actual factual and objective information. Well, when we had this conversation between you and I, you, you, um, basically said well you didn't basically say you did say that because the baby grew inside you because you nursed the child because everything else that you feel and that doesn't make it true or false that you feel that that child is more yours than the father my argument to that is well the the plain and simple it takes two to tango and that's that's my argument and I don't know really where that conversation between us came down. I don't even know that it was ever really, you know, hashed out between us. And, and um, yeah, so. You well, can, I, and, and I can tell you guys doing what I do, that is a, that is a continuous argument that I see. I would um, assume. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mothers I, I overwhelmingly like, feel. Yeah. What yeah. mothers overwhelmingly feel that it's their way or the highway more or less when it comes to this because they carry that child in them for nine months, which, you know, I get, but I mean, if you want to take it even further back, you wouldn't have that child without us. There's no way around that. That's what I said. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you, and, and that's one of the things with society today, we have so many people that want to deny the basic aspect of biology. And how right. fundamentally things work. You know, mm-hmm. my thought process is, okay, when women figure out how to get pregnant asexually, then fine. You know, great. You can call that child yours all you want. But until then, it's not mm-hmm. just your child. It's our child. Well, and for for the dads out, and, and I actually did concede a little bit in the conversation because, not because I necessarily believe what she's saying, but I was more, when, when the dad is there 50%, when the dad is willing to put in the work, when the dad wants to, you know, he wants to do the right thing, then I feel like the dad should get exactly 50%, right? Mm-hmm. Or or if the mom's not willing to put in the work, it's, it's like you said, it's fairness. It's all yeah. about fairness. Now, if the dad just wants to check out, go buy a pack of cigarettes and come back in three years, 
then he doesn't deserve that kind of. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there are deadbeat dads, without a doubt. There are deadbeat dads out there, but there are also deadbeat moms out there. You know, and the other thing that I run into, because um, I run afoul of feminists a lot, (laughs) because I don't apologize for what I post. I am very in your face. I am very boisterous and I have a loud mouth. I have a big mouth when it comes to this stuff. I don't pull punches. So I run in, I run afoul of feminists a lot. Um, you have feminists are all about equality until it affects them. Then they don't want equality. And you know, you can't be a feminist and not expect equality on both sides of the aisle. And that's one of the biggest problems that we run into today with male and female relationships, not just talking about um, custody and things like that. There is a very skewered look of equality today when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's very interesting because I actually feel like and like I'm pretty anti-feminism now. I used to be more uh, left-leaning, more liberal thought of myself as a feminist without really knowing what I was actually supporting or or really believing in. But as I've grown and and become wiser, (laughs) I'm like, no, fuck feminism. Feminism was a lie. (laughs) Well, and and it is. I mean, when you look at the tenets of feminism, it's bullshit. You know, uh, it's just, it's unreal. But I see that constantly all the time in my posts. And the bigger I've gotten, the worse it's gotten. I'm sure that you that you've looked at the history of the family court system mm-hmm. and yep. like what do you believe are the roots of why women seem to have an advantage even still in today's world it's what 2024 yep. why are women still favored in family court okay. systems So let me give you a brief do you know the history of the family court system No Do you want to know Sure Absolutely Okay so the family court system is built off the old British law system. That's the model for the family court system. Okay. For the first part of the actual family court system, if there was a divorcing kind of stuff like that, the kids automatically went with the father. You know, that's where we get the whole patriarchy thing that feminists mm-hmm. love to squall about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Around the time of women's suffrage, okay, there was a, a one particular woman who started uh, protesting the family court system and how it was along with women's rights. Um, She got the family court system to change. Okay. It adopted what's called the tender years doctrine. And basically what the tender years doctrine states is a child that is of tender years and it varies from state to state. You know, some states it's 10, some states it's 13, whatever the case may be. A child that is of tender years will automatically go with the mother. No questions asked. Okay. That continued on until 1987 when it was revised once again, and the tender years doctrine was supposedly put away to the side, and they adopted what's in the best interest of the child. Okay, and that is continued until this present day. But the tender years doctrine very much is still a part. You have these judges who still rule based off of the tender years doctrine. Okay, that's the biggest part. Then we slide into the money aspect of the family court. When you look at the family court, Money runs the show. Money is the end-all be-all. You look at child support, okay? This is a very prime example of it. Child support, the basis of child support is to equal out a child's life between mom and dad, okay? Meaning that the child goes from mom's house to dad's house, has the same quality of life, 
in both places. Okay. But which is all fine and dandy, but the court system makes money off of that. Okay. For every how do, dollar. How do they make money. Yeah. Okay. You're yeah. probably going to tell me. Oh, I'm getting ready to tell you. All right. For every dollar of child support you pay, the federal government will reimburse that family court 66% or 66 cents on the dollar for every dollar of child support that is paid. On top of that, okay. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wait, on top so of that, essentially what you're saying is that that taxpayer money is going to the family courts based upon how much child support is awarded mm-hmm. within that specific jurisdiction. Yep. Now, within that specific that court, within that Pacific state. Um, okay, it gets better. Hold on. It gets better. I have one more question about that before you keep going. So does that matter which direction that money flows, male to female, female to male? Does that make a difference in the 66%? So it's, so yes and no. Okay. It's, it's a 66% base average. But the one thing that you see when you look at child support cases where a mom pays child support, where a father pays child support, a father is going to pay several times more than what a mom pays. I'll give you an example. When I was paying child support, I was paying $666 for my son a month. Okay, once I got custody, they offered me child support. It was $75 a month they were willing to to give me child support. And historically, you see that across the board um, in what men are offered for child support versus what women offered. And the other part of it is most men they don't accept the child support. They don't want child support. They don't need child support to raise their kids. Whereas where women are today, they the majority of them rely on that child support as money. So, but going back to what I was saying, so 66% or 66 cents a dollar flows back into that family court system from the federal government. On top of that, they get bonuses. There's a whole bunch of different bonuses they get depending on metrics. Like one of them is... Um, Child support in the red versus in the black. So if you have 50 child support cases in your area and they are all in the black, meaning there are no arrears owing, you get more money. You get more money for arrears. You get more money for a lot of different things. And there's now this is a rumor that I have never been able to find out if it is actually factual. I've spent a lot of time looking, but the rumor is that the judges, the family court judges, their retirement pensions are funded through child support. So there's another thing. That's just a rumor that that we can't confirm. Just to, yeah, to yeah. I, I have, I have looked, I have looked high and low, but it's a reoccurring rumor. Um, I've never been able to find whether or not that's true. But the other stuff is actually verifiable. The other stuff, you can go to the Social Security Administration website and look up title. uh, Yeah, it's run through Social Security. Yep. Wow. Wow. That I I had no idea about that. Yeah. And I follow you pretty close. I always knew that you talked about the the money aspect. And I just assumed that they got a cut or or something like yep. that. Oh I didn't realize it was that significant. I mean that is oh it's it's very, very significant. Yeah. Well, this relates to what we were talking about in regard to the conversation we had where I said I felt like as a mother, I have more ownership of my children. And that conversation actually started when you said that Kanye West pays Kim Kardashian 200 
thousand dollars in child support every month. I don't know that yep. that number is factual. And I can't. It's understand. factual. It's How factual. In the world, uh, you know, they're neither one of them is hurting for money. How can it cost two hundred thousand dollars a month for kids? But putting it, it doesn't. In- number one. Number two. What we were just talking about. Sixty-six percent of every dollar. Yes. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Now that, okay. So as you were like, I don't think that he should have to pay that much money in child support. And I'm like, I don't think it matters what you think. If he has this much money and she makes this much money and they do the equation and this is what it comes out to, that's the same rule that would be applied to anyone else. Right. But she makes more money than he does. Okay. See, so (laughs) there's so many different variables here, but if, if it were just that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's like factual that he needs to pay her $200,000 a month in child support, all other things being equal, but knowing this federal, what are we calling it? A federal, it's almost like a kickback in a way. It's like, yeah, well, it's a kickback. I mean, it's a kickback, a reimbursement program. What's the program called? So let me pull it up for you and I'll read it to you from the website. That, with me that simple that simple thing right there makes me change my opinion about whether or not he should be paying her two hundred thousand dollars a month in child support. You know, in, yeah. in my opinion, nobody should be paying that much in child support. You cannot convince me that it costs two hundred thousand dollars a month to raise a child. That's the, yeah, that's say, not child support. What would you say to uh, someone? I just saw this. On, this morning on Instagram or Facebook, a woman had created a reel of her little babies and their little carriers. And she said, you know, they're living their best life on the beaches of Mexico. Yeah, um, I posted that. <laughs> oh, maybe it was your account where I saw it. And yep. so, you know what she said then? She was yeah, like, we're living yep. our best life she on the said, beach of Mexico, supported yeah. by my ex-husband. Yeah, she said, let's, let's normalize ex-husbands basically funding the life that they, that they're paying for with or without them. Is essentially yeah. what it was. The life um, that they had started to create, that they're still responsible for continuing to fund that lifestyle after the end of the relationship. I think it's absolute bullshit. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Aside, aside from, you know, helping support the children, his job is not to support your lifestyle. I don't give a shit what anybody says. That is ridiculous. I mean, that mm-hmm. is, all that does is that, you know, perpetuates somebody being lazy, somebody not taking ownership of their own life and relying on somebody else. I don't agree with that whatsoever. And this is where I think where our two worlds combine with the relationships and um, the Father's Lives Matter movement, divorce, uh, child support, all these kind of things, where I think that if the system wasn't like it is, Okay, I'm just going to tell you, I've been married three times. All three of the women cheated on me. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all three of them decided they wanted a divorce. Two had two I had kids with. You know, I got worked over all three times, but there's no, it's like a safety net. It's like yep. they don't have to try because they're just going to screw you over in the end. That's what it feels like. Okay. And you're looking at me rolling your eyes, Danielle, a little bit, but, but <laughs> you may or may not be, I might be imagining that, but, but at the end of the day, it feels like as a guy, like there's this, not only is a divorce scary, but now are you going to get screwed over in the courts? Are you going to get worked over and, you know, have to work 
50 percent of your time to pay for somebody else's lifestyle because we know darn well that a lot of this money isn't going to diapers and formula it's going so mom can go on vacation and get her nails done yep you know and i i made a video about this uh, a couple months ago i posted it went viral where basically there is a lady at the front at the start of the video saying that very thing why is there no you know, uh, requirements for women to prove what they buy. And I came on the back end of the video and I explained why that would never happen. And I tell you, if you go to the comments and read the thousands and thousands of comments there are, women are losing their fucking minds over what I said. It's unreal. I'll send it to you guys after the show. You can go and take a look at it. Um, there is a severe lack of accountability with the modern day woman. Hmm. You know, as a former liberal feminist myself, I can I can propose one of their counterpoints to all of this. And it's not necessarily that I agree with it. I'll just put it out there. Okay, and we'll see where this goes, Um, that in order for a woman to. But really, this goes for either parent. So let me just stay on track. But (laughs) there's a lot of caveats here. In order for a woman to care for her child in the best way possible, she needs to be healthy mentally, physically. She needs to be safe. She needs to be resourced. Right. Mm -hmm. And so while, you know, yes, we could say child support should be utilized to take care of the children. If we're not clear on like uh, how much money the mother is spending on herself versus truly what's being spent on the children. Can we say, can we, can we say that she shouldn't be taking care of herself? (laughs) Can we say that she shouldn't be spending money on herself to do things for herself? If that's what she feels that she needs to show up as the best mother possible. I'm not explaining this very well. I don't know if you could see where I'm going with this, but that would be, I I, kind of see what you're going, where you're going with. And my, my answer to that is it is called child support for a reason. It is not called mother support. Okay. Mm. You know, you're welcome to spend all the money you want on self-care and yeah, you deserve it, but I'm not paying you for that. Okay. I am paying you to take care of the children, basically their needs. Okay. Your needs, your needs are not their needs. There's a direct difference between that. The kids need to eat. Kids need to be healthy. Kids need a place to stay, all that stuff. Okay. That's what my child support goes to. My child support doesn't go to your spa day. My child support does not go to your day to go out with your friends. My child support does not go to your hair, your nails, none of that stuff. That is your responsibility. Let me ask you this, okay, to kind of counterpoint you. Would you be willing to give the father money when he has the kids? For himself? If, what if he needs no. the self-care though to show up for yeah, him? Why not? Why not? I mean, if you want money for That's yourself exactly you for self-care, why wouldn't you be willing to give it to the father for his self-care? Because he needs to be the best person he can be to take care of your guys' kids. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. do you do you see how that doesn't fly when it's flipped on its side? Totally. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, and again, I'm not saying that I agree with that perspective, yeah. but I yeah. know no, but it, it, it's a point. point. Yeah. It's it's a counterpoint that I've heard thousands of times. Yeah. So Donovan, I'm going to ask you this. Um, We talked about child support. We talked about how we met and things like that. And but our our podcast is about relationships. And Mm -hmm. you know, we were we were talking about 
um, getting some people on that have been married for a long time and start asking like, how did you make it work and things like that. And you would be absolutely shocked to figure, to find out how hard it has been for us to find somebody <laughs> like that. Okay. So here's my question. My question is if you could give a, a, a couple even male and female, both of them, any advice going into that, you know, maybe they're going into a divorce. What would you tell them? And now you're obviously going to lean towards the father probably. So what would you tell the dad? Well, so I'm not necessarily going to lean to the father. Okay. Okay. Um, People have this belief that it's always going to be the father or nothing at all. Okay. There's so many different variables that can go into any given situation. Okay. But the one thing I'm going to tell you, and it's not either side, when you have kids, when you bring a child into this world, that child did not get to pick who their mom was or who their dad was. Okay. And they certainly didn't get to choose to be stuck in this fucking tug of war between both sides. It's in your child's best interest for you guys to figure your shit out. Whatever that may be, if you are not good together, then yeah, obviously you need to split up. But if you guys are good together and there's something that can be done to work it out, work it out. If not for yourself, for your child. That would be the biggest thing that I would say. I I kind of agree with you. And I say kind of for a reason. Danielle and I have talked about this before. And there are couples that stay together for the kids. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that that's necessarily a smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, well, and and absolutely, you're right. It cannot be a smart thing to do, but that's part of that whole variable set that we don't know. Absolutely. If two people are toxic, fuck, do not stay together for your kids because you're going to be teaching your kids everything that is wrong with relationships and you're going to be setting them up for failure down the road when they become adults when they enter into relationships. So yeah, that, that point, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very much in the camp now, at least, of not staying together for the kids. If you're staying together just for the kids, it's probably it's probably time to move on and figure out what life looks like um, on the other side of separating. Right. Mm -hmm. I was the mom that, that stayed in the relationship because I had a child and because I had grown up with divorced parents and because it was so rocky and stressful and (laughs) traumatic at times. And I didn't want to put my own child into that position, but frankly, I was pregnant four months into a relationship with someone with a narcissistic personality and he was heavily love bombing me up until around the time that I got pregnant. And when I was pregnant, that was when I realized like, this actually is not a person I want to be in a long-term relationship with, but I'm now with child. You're stuck. Yeah. And what am I going to do? I'm going to make the best of this. It's not that yeah. bad. So what came of all that? Two more kids and a whole other decade of sticking it out for the kids. I mean, I'm so thankful that I got, you know, three beautiful kids out of that relationship. But I also left that relationship with a lot of, uh, can I say psychological damage? I mean, that feels like such a strong term, but, um, yeah, I've really had to work on myself hard to heal from the, the challenges that arose from being in a relationship with someone with those challenges and also, you know, taking responsibility for ownership of the things I brought into that relationship as well that yeah that were so not a result of the relationship exactly but having watched her go through the divorce it was interesting to me and i i caught some uh 
some hints or, you know, I don't really know what the word is I'm looking for, but when she was going through the divorce, people would say, well, is she going to go for child support? He needs to pay her. He was a bad guy. He needs to pay her. Like it's a (laughs) punishment for him being a bad guy. And she turned it down. And then I also know a situation where it goes the other way, where the woman pays the man and they were like, Oh, well, he's just a pussy and he should be paying his own way. And that's the the vibe. Like the yep. we, it's the double standard. Gone, yeah, society has gone, well, if you're a woman and the guy makes you mad, you should totally get paid. And if you're a guy, well, you can just make do. Yep. And it I saw it at firsthand with two friends of mine that went through divorces. Ooh, it's yeah. like we we've weaponized child support and, and lost sight of the fact perhaps that child support should be about providing for the oh, it, it's it's absolutely been weaponized because what's one of the first things that is said during a breakup that it involves children it's always i'm going to get you on child support or if things go wrong you guys are separated things go wrong and you do something that she doesn't agree with i'm going to get your child support raised yeah. you know child support has been weaponized top to bottom i'll tell you the other thing that's been weaponized motherhood Motherhood has been weaponized and incentivized top to bottom. It goes right along with child support hand in hand. Okay, elaborate on that. Uh, So basically, you look at the whole child support aspect of it. You look at motherhood. You, You don't have mothers that are out there being mothers for the sake of being mothers anymore. You don't have mothers that are raising their kids because they love their kids. You have a lot of mothers out there that are raising their kids because it's a retirement program. They've seen their mama do it. They've seen their aunties do it. They realize that they can make a lot of money simply by being a mother. We see that time and time again. So I'm going to tell you, I saw this in action when I was a police officer. I was. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably did. Yeah, I was uh, driving down the street one night. These two young girls, about 16 years old. It was like two o'clock in the morning. They're walking directly down the middle of the street. And I stop them and they get all mad at me and they accuse me of some things like they accuse me of being racist. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? So anyway, the the conversation goes that, you know, it's already going in a rough direction. So I I started making conversation with them to try and calm things down. I'm like, so what do you guys, you know, what are you going to, what are you thinking about going to school for? What are you thinking about this and that and the next thing? And both of them to a T said that their career plans were to have as many babies as possible so they could get child support and so they could get government assistance. And yep. that was their entire plan for their careers was to have babies. Yep. Yeah. You, all one has to do, honestly, is go on TikTok or any of the social media sites and just type in baby mama. And you will see literally millions of videos where these women are talking about getting the bag. They're talking about baby trapping. They're talking about uh, uh, spurgling. They're talking about stealthing. Basically, all these different ways for them to get pregnant and then live off the child support that comes with it. And the Section 8, the welfare benefits. I call that you know the welfare plantation because it locks them into this where they don't have to get jobs. Everything is paid for them by somebody else. That's motherhood to a T anymore in society today, especially young mothers. I see that time and time again. Mm. Gross. (laughs) Well, yes, it's gross. And I'm also like, you know, as, as like someone who would probably actually be like a, 
centrist politically, socially. socially I, I'm yeah. always like so sensitive when it comes to these kinds of conversations where it's like we're we are um, stereotyping a certain um, race or gender. I'm like, oh god, I get so uncomfortable with this. But, but it's not stereotyping though. That's the thing. We've gone way past where it's stereotyping. This is the reality that is out there. I mean, it is easily verifiable with a five-minute search. Yeah, but they they scare you into not saying anything about it by accusing you of all these different things. And that's why I'm here having this conversation, you know, on this podcast and and talking about these kinds of issues that I didn't talk about for eight years on a previous podcast because I was trying to be nice to everybody. Yeah, well, I think we're beyond being nice to people because, I mean, literally we talked about literal children being weaponized towards towards parents. I mean, how much worse can it get at this point? It's not like we're making things worse by shining a light on how bad things actually are. Well, the only way that we're going to be able to solve problems is by actually being honest and truthful about them. Yeah, and and that comes back to what I was saying earlier about accountability. Yeah, There is a severe lack of accountability in this world, not just the United States, this world, because these issues that we're talking about child support, family court, interpersonal relationships. This is all stuff that exists outside of the U.S. as well. I mean, in the time that I've been doing this, there's only two countries that I haven't talked to fathers from, and that's Russia and China. Whoa, that says a lot. Every other country I've talked to fathers, and they tell me the same thing. The same shit that happens to fathers here happens overseas. That just has different names. It's not child support. It's maintenance. But it Mm -hmm. still happens. Fathers are still alienated from their children at a massive clip overseas. Wow. That's insane. All right. So let's start to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, I think my last question for you is knowing all that you've learned through your experience since 2015, both as a father yourself and as an advocate for others, Mm -hmm. what are the biggest lessons that you've learned? What are the things that you would want to pass on to other people in hopes that they can prevent the problems, prevent the same protect kind of themselves. Yeah, prevent, pr- protect themselves. Thank you. Yes. Well, so the biggest thing, and you know, we can kind of break it down into a couple of different areas. If we're talking specifically about the family court, um, always document everything that happens. That's one of the biggest things. Um, empower yourself. I got to where I'm at because. I took a chance and I taught myself. I empowered myself. I didn't let anybody tell me that I couldn't do something. You know, that's one of the biggest fallacies is that you can't do that. You can't go and represent yourself. You absolutely fucking can. I'm proof of that. But the family court relies on fear and intimidation tactics that scare away so many fathers that they say, oh, no, I'm not going to deal with that. And they walk away. So believe in yourself, empower yourself, document everything. It doesn't matter if you're writing it down, if you're videoing it, whatever the case may be, document everything to protect yourself. The family court loves throwing mud. Okay. They encourage it. The more mud you throw, the better off you are. And we're running into this issue. And this is something else that you guys should probably talk about at some point in time. Um, False allegations of domestic violence. That is a very huge thing right now in 2024. Um, There are so many celebrities that have been accused of this 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is such an easy way to take a father out of the picture is to claim domestic violence, whether it be physical or sexual. That gets rid of the father right away for at least a year, if not longer than that. Um, so you have to protect yourself. And Do you know what I'm where, talking about as a cop? Yeah, I was just going to say, as a former police officer, I don't know how many times I got calls like that where, you know, you, we could generally, if if you're a, a halfway decent investigator, you could prove it wrong. But the thing is, you still had to tie, you know, you still had to put in your report what she said. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was him making the allegation. What he said, you still had to make those. Sorry, I don't know what I'm doing there. But um, you, <laughs> you just give me a put, thumbs down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you still had to put in the report what everybody said, and it's still an allegation. And a lot of times what would happen is, hey, I'd go out there and she'd say, he smacked me around and this and then the next thing. And she'd have like a red mark on her leg that matched her hand or something like that. That actually happened where I could measure her hand to the mark on her leg. But because she made an allegation, I still had to send that report over to uh, a prosecutor. I did it again over to a prosecutor's office. And they would eventually make a decision, yes or no, whether to even prosecute. So I could say as a cop, no, I don't think he did it. And it would still go to the prosecutor's office anyway, because it was a domestic violence situation. And with a domestic violence situation, so many things are are, are tied to that gun rights and and your obviously yeah. your father's rights and things like that, you know, parental rights. It's a monster, man. So I think it, I, it's, it's a monster. I think I told you the story last time we talked about the guy. I caught him speeding like 75 and a 30 in the middle of the night one night. And uh, I I stopped him like, what are you doing? And he says, I have have to get home and get two hours of sleep before I go to my third job. And I'm like, well, why do you need three jobs? What's going on? He said, I'm behind on child support. So I I checked his record. Sure enough, he had a – and they they made – in Nevada anyway – they made the warrants felonies if you were behind on, yep. on child support. So this guy's got felony warrants for like $1,500 in child support he was behind on. And I was like, you know what, man, you're doing, you're out here. You're doing the right thing. You're trying hard. I said, I'm just going to look the other way tonight. And I said, go get some sleep, get to your job and get your stuff taken care of. Well, this guy was so thankful that he did that, that I did that for him, that he wrote a thank you letter to my command. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Did you get in trouble? Got in trouble for letting him go on a felony warrant, even no. though trying really hard to do the right thing. And that's all he wanted was to be with his kids and to do the right thing. And he, I got in trouble as a cop for, for not taking him to jail. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to this, the start of the podcast where we were talking about that, how cops don't really have a, a say. They have to, they have to follow whatever is laid out in front of them, right or wrong. You guys got to do it. Yeah. And, and that was tough for me sometimes because as a matter of fact, when he was going through that, I was also going through a similar situation. So I understood completely where he was coming from. And and I was going to say that I've, I've seen the family court for upfront and in person because I got taken into family court with my second wife and the judge accused me of lying to her. And then after she accused me of that, about a week later, I got a subpoena to go to her court to testify in another case. So they want me to go testify in the court, but they want to call me a, lo- a liar when I'm there for myself. Yeah. Funny how that I, works, I was, right? My mind was blown. I couldn't understand how that worked. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so going back to the, the rest of your question. So in so far as relationships go, really vet who you are potentially getting with. I mean, because we, we run into this thing where everybody wears a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're first meeting somebody, they want to put on their best version of them, even though that may not be their actual them. You know, just really do your homework. We see way too many people, and this goes for male or female. We see way too many people jumping into relationships. You brought that up, you know, yep. four months in, you were pregnant. You know, yep. you really, really have to look at everything and just yep. be be smart about it. Yeah, and I would add to that too, trusting your gut, you know, that you mm-hmm. may not have necessary, necessarily like... um evidence, right? That this person has some kind of history or past or a pattern of behavior, but your gut feeling is enough. Intuition. Yeah. Yep. And they, you know, they call them red flags for a reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I've ignored a lot of red flags in the past. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. I think we've all been guilty of that. I know I've been guilty of that. You know, I don't think you can show me anybody who hasn't been guilty of that. But you just, we just have to be smarter when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially if you're a single father with a child or a single mother with a child. You really, really have to be cognizant of who you're bringing around your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you so much for yeah. having this conversation with us. I love that you are so firm in your, uh, in your belief system and that, you know, you decided to make the best out of the situation that you experienced and be able to move on and help other people with it as well. Well, I'm just going to say that I've, you know, kind of, I've kind of seen you from the start and I've kind of followed along with what you're doing. And I've been, I mean, you've been an inspiration and part of the reason that I, you know, wanted to do what we're doing right now is because I've seen what you're doing and the difference that you're making. So I think that hopefully we can make the difference on the relationship end with the same thing that you're doing after it all goes wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and John, I thank you for your support. Absolutely. Um, You know, it means a lot to me when I hear, you know, people say this kind of stuff, you know, because I don't do this for myself. I don't do this for self accolades or anything like that. I do it because I genuinely care because I know what it's like to be in that, that guy's position. You know, that feels like nobody cares about him. Nobody gives a shit about him. You know, I want to elevate him up. I want to let him know that his life is better. You know, that's why I do what I do at the end of the day. I mean, last last summer, I had an offer to sell Father's Lives Matter for $100,000. And I turned them down. Because I, I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So if people want to learn more about Father's Lives Matter, how do they do that? Where do they go? Just head on over to Instagram, type in Father's Lives Matter, and you'll find me. Perfect. Hey, thanks again for joining us. We have just one thing to ask before you go, and John says you're more likely to listen to me than to him. So I get to ask that you please follow us on Instagram at Not Relationship Experts. Come continue the conversation with us and share with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you there.